you in the name of all that is good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. I had mentioned that sometimes people ask me, are I going to say any jokes on my talk? I said, well, I don't really know. I only say things that I think are funny to me, so I have a weird sense of humor. So I don't know if, I don't know if it'll be funny to you or not. Uh, I, can, I can't always give you everything, but I can give you what I can. And so this is a little story about uh, a woman who had a pet duck. And uh, the duck stopped breathing and took it to the animal doctor, the veterinarian, and he said, please, my, my, my duck, can, can you help me, my duck? And uh, he laid the duck up on the table. The doctor took out his stethoscope and, you know, checked for the duck's heart and see if it had a pulse and, and uh, said, I'm sorry, ma'am, it looks like your duck is dead. And he said, and the, and the woman said, wait a minute, you, you hardly did anything. He could be in a coma or something like that. You can do some more tests, can't you? And uh, the doctor looked at her, kind of rolled his eyes and shook his head. And then he kind of called, you know, his assistant in the back. And his assistant was a, uh, a beautiful Labrador retriever. And the Labrador came over and sniffed the duck up and down and shook his head. He went back. And then next thing you know, he called his other assistant, which was his cat. Cat came out. Cat came up and sniffed the duck up and down and blinked his eyes and said it's hopeless and went back and, and he told the woman, yeah, it looks like I told you that your duck had died. And so he went on his computer and he wrote up his bill and handed the bill and the bill was $500. And she said, $500? I mean, you, you hardly did anything. And the guy said, well, if you had listened to me the first time, I only would have charged you $50 to check the duck out. So now I have to charge you $500. And he, she said, well, for what? He said, because I had to do a lab report and I had to do a CAT scan. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. As I was saying earlier, as I was thinking about, you know, saying these things that uh, you'll probably, you'll remember that, you know, as, as corny as it is, that, you know, sometimes like, as it was that, uh, that candy that said, sometimes I feel like a nut, sometimes I don't, sometimes I feel like a nut when I come up with these things. Uh, so welcome to the Spiritual Life Center experience. Anyway, there were a number of students who had graduated from a prestigious business school, number one or number two in the country. And they had come back for their 15th year reunion. So after a decade and a half of being out there in the world, 
from one of the most prestigious schools that exists, one would think they were destined for greatness, and they were. They had a great deal of prosperity. My objective stand is they had all the abundance you could possibly imagine. And people looking on the outside would think they had nothing but euphorious life. Because they looked at their success objectively and saw all the privileges that they had achieved over time. And they had reached this high level of success and achievement that many others just simply could only dream about. They were the financial elite. And they lacked nothing at all. But a number of them were unhappy. They didn't have any happiness in their life. You know, they talked about a lot of things that happened to them, but some said they were comparing themselves to others who were doing better than they were. They had talked to each other about the promotions that they did not get. Some of them were sharing about their lack of connection with their children and their family members due to spending so much time on their work and their jobs. And one of the graduates who had made, you know, was making over a million dollars a year, but was very despondent because he said he endured the stress of working with people he could not stand. So despite the accumulation of the wealth, several of those alumni believed that they were wasting their lives. They believed that their life didn't have meaning. It didn't have any purpose for them. And that scenario, I believe, demonstrates that material acquisition alone does not equate to spiritual abundance, does not equate to spiritual prosperity. Now, bear in mind, I believe that everyone should be well off. There's nothing wrong with accumulation. There's nothing wrong with you know, getting rich if you want to do that, unless you make it the object of your life. Because we lead a lot of transformation in our world. There's a lot that we need to do, and many of them require money. You know, we got the climate crisis going on. We got stresses on our democracy at home. We have divisiveness all over the place. And we need a new consciousness. And oftentimes, if you have this financial support, you can help that happen. But materiality or money alone is but one aspect of prosperity. And if we concentrate and, and on that alone, then we begin to close out other areas of good. And if we concentrate on one part and not the whole, we only get the part. But if we concentrate on the whole, we enjoy all of the parts as well. You know, this month I'm looking at the idea or the theme of spiritual prosperity. And when we talk about spiritual prosperity, we're talking about a sense of wholeness. We're talking about a sense of dynamic well-being. We're talking about having a balanced life that allows for the presence and the power and the love of pure spirit to flow through us in a myriad of ways. And of course, it includes health, one of the most important aspects of wealth. If you have, don't have your health, you don't have any wealth. It includes vibration of enthusiasm. And yes, it includes money and circulation of money. It deals with having you know, the right work play in a form of co-creativity. It also includes right relationships and compelling right action and guidance. It includes all of that. That's what spiritual prosperity and abundance is all about. So the question, where does it come from? Where does it originate? You know, there's something that we call spiritual 
substance. And I'm talking about today the truth about spiritual substance. The fact of the matter is substance and all prosperity comes from substance. And it's everywhere. There was a story of three initiates who were, you know, going into adulthood. And part of their initiation was to go and find the most valuable thing they could find in the world. So they went off on a journey, went on a hunt. And after several days, one of them came back. And what happened? He had, you know, a a bag full of diamonds. And he said, this is the most valuable commodity that there is in the world. And then the second one came back and he had, you know, all kinds of emeralds and rubies and all kinds of other jewels that he brought back and said, this is the most valuable commodity there is in the world. And the third one came back and he had his fist balled up and he went to his mentor and he just opened up his hand and there was absolutely nothing in it. And people were confused. I mean, what do you mean? I mean, you're supposed to bring back the most valuable thing that exists. And the young mentee said, it is the most valuable thing that exists. But you just can't see it. The most valuable thing that exists is an idea. Is an idea. He got the understanding that all prosperity comes from something that's invisible. Invisible substance. You know, the Latin root of the word substance actually means to stand under. It means that substance is standing under everything. The wealth of the universe is not material. It is intangible substance. It is real. It is behind everything that we see. It all begins with that idea. You know, there was someone who had an idea that, you know, we could talk through lines and on devices and talk to anybody across the world and you know now we could do it wireless an idea you know uh, you know someone along the way said you know I can tap into something and then a poem can come out a song can come out a story can come out the imaginariums I think was that the word I keep forgetting the word that Allison from the uh, 916 Inc was talking about they're tapping into that invisible something and that invisible something we can't see, it, can't, it can be converted, it can be transmuted, it can be changed in a million ways, but it can never be destroyed. It's infinite. And it flows and it becomes the form formation that is based upon what's happening in our consciousness and our conscious connection with this invisible, infinite substance. So we do not want to be a victim of a constricted outlook. Not looking at life thinking that supply or substance is something that's visible, that's something that's material. If we do what we're doing, we're constricting the pipeline that this presence can bless us to and through. And we may end up saying something like one of those alumni said that I learned to be rich, but I never learned to live. So the question, I think, for us, how do we open up the pipeline to receive more of God's overflowing good, more of this invisible substance? How do we claim it? Of course, claiming means to activate it. 
How could we become the great activators of this presence and this invisible something we call substance? Well, I'm going to read a, a Bible story. I, I read one a few weeks ago, and I, and I said, I know some people might go through conniption fits, but everybody worked out okay. They, they, still alive. they were still alive. They're still alive. So, you know, I'm going to read another one. You know, I had an instructor in middle ministerial school that said, hey, if you ever need any material, you know, don't forget to look at, you know, the, the stories in the Bible. You know, because, you know, it's been used as a weapon against many people, and they did that. I don't want to hear anything from that. But I think one of the contributions of new thought is our metaphysical interpretation of the stories and how they apply to us in our contemporary life. The meaning behind the words rather than the literal interpretation of them. And so this particular story comes from the Hebrew Bible. Second Kings, the fourth chapter. The first through seventh verse, and it's the story about Elisha and the widow's oil. And it says that now the wife of a member of the company of prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared God, feared the Lord, as it says here. But a creditor has come to take my two children and enslave them. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she answered, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. He said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty your vessels and not just a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your children and start pouring into these vessels. When each is full, set it aside. So she left him and shut the door behind her and behind her children. They kept bringing vessels to her. and She kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there are no more. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go tell, go and sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your children can live on the rest. I think that story tells us a lot about how to activate the spiritual substance that I'm talking about. A key beginning point is to catch the overflow of this substance. And this starts with a question. Because Elijah asked the widow, what do you have in your house? And metaphysically, house represents consciousness. What's in our consciousness? It's a dynamic principle that only need, not only needs to be espoused, but needs to be practiced. And we need to ask, what do we have in our house? What do we have in our consciousness? And we talk about consciousness because it's, it's a fundamental foundation of our teachings. It's the sum total of our thoughts. It's the sum total of our feelings. It's the sum total of our emotions. It's who we are. And depending on who we are determines what our life experiences will be. That's why it says in, in one of the scriptures, those that hath more shall be given. And those that hath not, even what they have shall be taken away. 
And that statement is dealing with states and stages of consciousness. And individuals who are bubbling over and brimming over with the consciousness of affluence and beauty and love and generosity, who are bubbling over with infinite supply, shall always be getting more. And there'll be rich reservoirs of the inlets and the outlets for the good of spirit to be expressed through them. Yet those who have not, and those individuals who complain about everything, who are dealing with a consciousness of lack and limitation, they even begin to lose what they do have along the way. This is what we call the law of mind actions is operating. And it's not because of something that is coming from God or a curse from this presence. It is not a whimsical universe. It is something that is based upon law, spiritual law. So the quality of consciousness determines the quality of our life experiences in history. So in this particular story, I should say, the woman was asked, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your consciousness? And she revealed where she was coming from in her own consciousness. When she responded to that question, she said, I only have one pot of oil. So it revealed that she was in a consciousness of some limitation. You know, it's a common challenge that we often have with the, I call it the onlyness syndrome. We'll hear people say, you know, I don't have much. I only have this little old job, this little bit of money. I only have this little old place. I only got this little old education, this little old experience. I don't have much. Now, if you're one of those people, you come to the right place. Because we're here to have a spiritual alarm clock to wake us up with certainty. And if we turn to this ever-expanding good consciousness, we will become a blessing to this by receiving more and more of this invisible substance in so many different ways. But often individuals curse what they have and they say it's not enough. It's not. It's too small. And they say if I only had more, I would begin to live life. If I only had more, I'd really begin to give. If I only had more, I'd begin to do what I've meant to do on the planet. If I only had more time, more talent, more experience, more education. If I only had more, I don't have enough. So in many ways, they curse what they already have. And one of the statements said, man's curses surround him as his cloak. It diminishes what they have. It does not serve them because... They are cursing it and limiting it. So what we want to do is look for what we have with a different light. We want to take what we have. We want to bless what we have. We want to give thanks for what we have. You know, there's a story about a man years ago who was hearing rumors about his job on his, his factory or that he was working from the corporation that he was working at. And he said there was a lot of fear going around. And he went to his spiritual teacher and everyone there was seeming to die into the, buy into the fear of the being downsized. And he asked the spiritual teacher, what do you think I can do about it? And that teacher, that guru figure said, the only thing you can do is go back to your work and bless and give thanks for what you do have. Bring your best. Realize that you're living and moving and having your being in some, some divine, unlimited substance. 
this divine supply and make that your mindset. Say, give more of yourself than you normally do. And don't let others' fear or frets be part of your thought. And the man not only stayed on the job, but he was promoted to boot. He said he didn't entertain the thoughts of loss. He didn't entertain the thoughts of lack. He didn't entertain the onlyness syndrome. So he went back and he gave more than he was being compensated for at that moment. And the universe was put in his debt. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said something to the effect that when you put the universe in its debt, it has to balance the account. And not wanting to be staying in your debt will push you to another level. Another level of self-expression. You'd be more spiritual supply or more substance will be expressed through and as you. And it will happen either through the space expanding or you'll expand beyond your space. That's the spiritual law. So we don't want to get caught up in the onlyness mindset. We want to fully appreciate what we have and leverage that. And we will increase and unleash the, the quality that we have and begin to multiply and become more for us than we could have imagined. So that's one of the first things out of that lesson, that story. We need to bless and, and really appreciate what we have because whatever we appreciate, appreciates. It becomes more than we can imagine. But there's a second lesson in that story. There's several, but I only picked out two because I got limited time. When it talked about the widow and the oil, it's important to note that we're here to recognize that we have to activate this infinite substance, and the way that we do it is through expectation. You know, Elijah instructed the widow to go to her neighbors and borrow additional vessels. This suggests the need to expand the mind, to include new faith, to include new vision to try on new insights. So she did borrow the additional vessels, and that broadened her horizons of expectations. And she poured the oil from the pot to the new vessels, and it flowed until the last vessel was filled. And when there were no more vessels to be filled, the oil stopped. Now that last vessel represents the end of her expectation. And the substance or the supply, it stopped. In other words, she was able to receive only as much as she expected. And her expectation was based on the number of vessels that she collected in that story. Now, Elijah had set the process in motion by giving her instructions, but she determined how far it would go by her thought of expectancy. She might have hoped for more, but you only get what you expect. And if we want spiritual substance in any area of our life, no matter what it might be, we may wish for a lot, but we will only enjoy as much as we are able to expect, whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's relationships, or even happiness. That's why I say we don't get what we pray for. We get what we expect, and we need to ask ourselves deep down, what am I really expecting? 
because we get what we really expect. We have to examine ourselves closely. You know, if I were to sum up what spiritual substance and abundance is all about, in my view, it is this. Everything and anything that we may be seeking, whether it's known, whether it's unknown, already exists. It's already been given. It already exists on the spiritual plane. As I was pointing out, there are those who have come up with these ideas that were already in the ether, so to speak. They just had to be in that level of expectancy to get it. Because all of spiritual substance of this presence that we call God that has ever been or ever has been now or ever will be, it's already here. And it's unlimited. That's the mind we want to have. I always say that when we think we have an insolvable problem, I don't know if you ever seen that. There's no solution to this. We might want to say there's always a solution. I always say that's a powerful affirmation. There's always a solution. We may not know off the top of head what it is, but if we begin to make that our mindset, our mind will automatically go to an energy field where only solutions exist. Anyway, talking about a limited substance, there was a young girl who was at home and had found all of this gold wrapping paper. It was expensive wrapping paper. And she was unraveling the paper and unraveling the paper. And, and her father saw her. He said, he got upset with her because she was wasting this gold wrapping paper. And he said, that's only for gifts. He said, well, I'm wrapping a gift. And so she showed him a box that had the wrapping paper around it and handed the box to him. And he felt a little bit better now that maybe it was being put to good use. But he opened the box and there was nothing in the box. So he got upset all over again. And he said, when you give somebody a gift, you got to give them something that they can see. It's got to be something in the box. And she said, there is something in the box. I've been blowing kisses in that box. And I filled that box up with kisses and I handed that box to you. You know, she had a terminal illness and she passed away, unfortunately, shortly after that. And the father said that any time that he felt down, that any time he felt that, you know, he couldn't go in any further, he reached an obstacle he couldn't overcome, he would take out that gold-wrapped box and remind him that it was filled with kisses from his daughter. And it activated something within him. But part of that story says that, that, that spiritual substance is everywhere. It's unlimited. It's invisible. And our task is to activate it, is to claim it. We are masters of this infinite substance if we choose to be. And if we choose to be, we'll allow the beauty and the affluence and all our needs to come and be met. Because there's nothing wrong with having all our needs met. There's nothing wrong with being strong. There's nothing wrong with our structures being powerful. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful. There's nothing wrong with shining the light. There's nothing wrong with having a world that works for everyone. With what we're going through now, there is a solution, and it comes from that invisible realm, particularly when our motivation is in alignment with spirit, and we have a compelling purpose. 
You know, the woman in that story had a compelling purpose. It was her children. Take care of them, not have them taken away from her. And if we're not waiting for an external change to happen, then we can shine and connect with that presence. You know, if we're in alignment with a dream that has our name on it, whatever it is, or whatever stage of life we happen to be in, there's always more. I was writing the other day that, you know, you got to have a compelling vision for the future. Otherwise, you'll default by looking only to the memories of the past. And you have a crooked neck when you do that. <laughs> but a vision will pull us. It'll pull us into right activity. And we will begin to be masters of spiritual substance. We will see the solutions to the challenges or to what we need to do to achieve what we want to achieve. And we'll feel our way into what it feels like to have those needs met, those desires met. And we will see how the universe bends and shapes itself according to what we believe we need and what we expect to receive. And when those things happen, some will say it was miraculous for you. Some will say maybe you were lucky. Some will say you were born on the wrong side or the right side of the tracks. Some will say, you know, you just have to come under a lucky star. Some will say, who do you think you are? They think they're just made for God that, that, you know, but who cares what they think? We're here to shine. We're here to glorify that presence, that presence that dwells within us and around us at all times so that we can say without hesitation, unabashedly, that those who have, those who have this consciousness, even more shall be given. And those who do not have even what they have, maybe to have it taken away. So we look at spiritual substance as the invisible, omniactive presence that is the source of everything we could ever hope for, want, or desire. The solution is always there. Sometimes we have to lowly listen, and it will come to us when we're rightly motivated. And as we receive it, we realize we get it because it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, which is ever-expanding good right here, right now. We deserve it because of who and what we are. So spiritual substance, the source of all abundance, it's everywhere. Our job is to claim it. Our job is to own it. And once we do, we master it in this moment. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life